0: Brody Sutherland, CEO of TalkBand Ventures, ticker TOC.cn, is here to discuss his Pilar and El Picacho projects in Sonora, Mexico, and the vision he has for them. I say that he's putting together the pieces of a very compelling puzzle, and there's just maybe a couple more pieces left at this point to figure out. But before I turn it over to Brody, just as always, right, forward-looking statements, blue sky, blue sky discussions, all standard disclaimers apply. We're going to be having some some interesting conversations that will, by necessity, require him to be kind of looking to the future. So you know, don't don't hold that against me or Brody. Otherwise, yeah, Brody, welcome to the show. This is your first time on, uh, you know, pretty pretty bog standard. Why don't you just give us, you know, thanks for thanks for showing up, I guess, uh, to start out with. But give us give us your elevator pitch, right? You know, if you're you're selling in the company, you got a couple of minutes. How do you explain talk about and what you what you're trying to accomplish there?
1: Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Really excited to you know be uh, be chatting with you today. And you know, really, our elevator pitch is is quite simple. It's you know we feel the world doesn't need another junior gold explorer trying to flog a deal that they think is going to get bought out at some point. I don't think the market's there right now. Uh, it might be in the future. So with that in mind, we want to become a producer. And we wanna be in a jurisdiction that we can actually do that uh, cost effectively. And that's Sonora, Mexico. And so we're looking to turn our Pilar project into a producing asset for us and build the company from there. And it's about being mindful of share structure, which you know we're happy to report that we've been around for four years. We've got 42 million shares out. And it's about being extremely mindful of what we do with capital and making sure that everything we do Uh, is to advance these assets and get us closer to our end goal.
0: Yeah, well, and I think you know I want to just chat about you. You're you're young gun like me, so I, you know, I like to kind of talk about uh, you know what, how you've come to be here. But I mean, the tight float. I mean, I try to avoid too much slide deck kind of conversation. Conversation people can do that themselves. But you know, for these primers, it does make sense to ta- chat about the basics a bit. So you say extremely tight float, forty one million shares. I mean, let's just be you know for the for the historical record. Any rollbacks that you're uh, you're hiding under the covers on us?
1: No, none. We we went public twenty nineteen, ten million shares out. Now we're sitting here at yeah around forty two million, uh, through a tough market. So that tells you exactly where our focus is. It's you know it's about being extremely mindful of dilution for our, our current shareholders, and that's what we want to continue to do.
0: And so, what's the overhang on that? Options and warrants and their pricing and what, what do we what do we have what do you have there? That's kind of yeah, what, maybe what's left out there. Maybe. Yeah,
1: so we've got we've got nine million warrants currently. Uh, their average price is a dollar twenty two. Uh, so. A lot of wiggle room between where we're trading today, um, you know, around 38, 40 cents. So, um, you know, there's not a lot of resistance that we'd see uh, from the warrants. Um, You know, they're all held by friendlies too, so you know, we wouldn't expect that as we get up to those levels. The options, you know, primarily held by management, um, you know, key consultants that have been around the company for a long time. uh, Even those, they're they're averaging, you know, I think around 60 or 70 cents. So we've got a few of the lower levels, you know, some from early days, around 15 cents that are expiring this year. Um, but, you know, everything is priced fairly high in that, you know, we we did have a, a fantastic run when we first kind of rediscovered Pilar and had some you know excellent drill results there. Um, and so, you know, a lot of our shareholders have been priced in at, at higher levels than today. And, you know, they've been patiently waiting for this market uh, to, to correct and see that sentiment return back to gold and silver, which, you know, we were very optimistic that it will.
0: Starting to see maybe signs of life, right? I mean, I've, I've talked about this in other avenues that you know, you're starting to see damage, actual damage being done to, to some companies, right? And I think that that starts to mark that the, the bottom might be, if not, if not, and we're getting close. Yeah, transitioning to you though, right? So I mean, yeah, do you just want to give a, you know, it's not, you know, we don't have to get back to your kindergarten days, but do you want to talk about, you know, your, your path to becoming CEO here?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm a, a geologist by background. Uh, you know, was fortunate to graduate from university during a boom time, so it was a lot of work, uh, and I was quickly kind of thrown into uh, the opportunity to work uh, internationally. So you know, I spent early in my career in nearly 20 countries over a six-year span and that really kind of opened my eyes to what works for a project what do you need what are the key components Uh, it also put me into you know different jurisdictions that are much more challenging than somewhere in mexico you know i I spent a lot of time in the amazon uh spent a lot of time in remote canada alaska and you know I, i think that's given me a background of what it takes to advance these projects and Really, if you're looking to advance something uh, and get it all the way across the the line, you need to be in a jurisdiction that has not only the infrastructure to do that, uh, but a mindset of being able to produce. And, uh, you know, we feel like that's Sonora and, you know, the fact that it's got all the technical expertise that you need as well. So, you know, we've been, even though my background's in geology, um, you know, I've been a founder of the company from the onset. You know, my role is slowly advanced to the CEO position and you know I think now it's about you know, applying my skill set and building the team that we need in, in Mexico to, to build out these assets and again that's one of the key components about Sonora is that you've got all these developed mines there so you've got personnel that understand mining uh, you know this is their backyard and you know we can draw from you know that, uh, that technical expertise apply it uh, and so you know we're very proud of the fact that our entire technical team is built in sonora that's their home you know our office is there and that allows us to you know really take full advantage of, of not only the opportunities that we see there but you know making sure that we've got our finger on the pulse each step of the way
0: yeah i mean you, you touched on a couple of things that, that i hope to get to as well right and i think that like you say where this location is allow you know that the hurdle to the, the, the barriers to entry, the barriers to economic viability are are remarkably low, right? And that's one of the reasons why I think this is a really compelling story for me. Just one last one. And you know, I think I'm always partial to, to geo CEOs, geos that you know have to learn the marketing side of things versus, you know, marketing marketing CEOs that have to learn the, the geological side of things. Just a kind of a question here, you know, just kind of for you to reflect on things. I mean, what have you had to learn on the fly, right? You become a CEO, you know, you, like you say, you had some remarkable success. It's been a couple of years, What what have you had to learn, like I say, on the fly to, to kind of become a successful CEO of a junior aspirational producer? Right?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's, it's a dynamic industry. There's a lot uh, constantly going on. I think, you know, the, the big lessons that I've learned You know, there's so many things that you can control, and you know you need to be on top of those. There's also things that you can't, and you know, the, the general market sentiment is one of them. You know, there's only so much you can do to, to push. But you know, I've I've felt like the big lesson for me has been, you have got to, you know, if there's if there's an issue, you've got to run at it, and yeah. uh, and deal with it right away. And you know, that's been kind of our mindset: is that, you know, we know what we want to do, we know what we want to build. And you know if there's any issues that come up along the way, we need to you know basically attack it, get on it right away, and uh, and use our collective expertise to to find a solution for it. So you know that's been one of the key pieces. Obviously, the market is is another side of it, and you know it's about just aligning with the right people that understand our vision, what we want to accomplish, and you know on that side you need a bit of patience as well. You need to understand you got to build relationships. And, you know, that's what we're looking to do is is continue to build those relationships and grow from there. And, you know, the one thing I want to be very clear as CEO is my phone is always on. You know, we've got current shareholders, maybe other shareholders there that are are thinking about, you know, investing in our company. Uh, Call me, you know, my numbers on all our news releases. Uh, Pick up the phone. Let's have a chat. And, you know, I'm happy to explain exactly where we are, where we're headed, you know, what our vision is. Um, but I think that's the key thing is we need communication and we want to be, have that open dialogue for everyone. So anyway, we, because my number on the news release, it means I get a lot of calls from groups that I might not want to talk to. So uh, just leave a message and I'll, I'll get back to you as quick as I can.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I can attest to that. Very yeah, responsive. Uh, I find it so interesting. I mean, this is I, I say this a lot, right? But it, it, as much as this is an industry of people, right? And that ability to, to develop those relationships and, and trust is, is massive, right? And so having a responsive CEO, I mean, I was emailing you Sunday afternoon yesterday, look for this email, right? For this interview and you got back to me right away, right? So, I mean, yeah, that's like I say, kind of a testament to that commitment. I, I, I buy into it. I, I totally agree with you. I, I So I've crafted here and this is where I'm going to put Brody on the spot here. I've crafted a little PowerPoint and, and he's going to be my, my my clicker. Even though I made it, he's going to be in charge of it here. But uh, we're going to... We, What we've got here, we're going to focus, I thought we would just touch on, you've got two projects, right? Uh, The focus for today is going to be on Pilar, and I think that's natural for people that do know the story, that's natural. And for people that don't, maybe that'll make sense in 20 minutes or whatever, right? But I think we should just touch on El Picacho a little bit, right? I mean, just why don't you, if you want to just kind of start clicking through there, Brody, like, do you just want to work on what has been done on it? You know, what is your plans for it in 2024 like I say, it's it looks intriguing. It looks like it has a lot of meat on the bone for exploration, but you know I think just make it's fair to say it's on the back burner a bit for you guys a little bit. But yeah, you just want to kind of run like you know like I say, kind of the, the quick and dirty version of, of of El Picacho for us here.
1: Yeah, awesome. I'm yeah happy to start with uh, Picacho because we yeah we, we rarely talk about it because of the success we've had at Pilar, but you know Picacho, just kind of to set the the framework here. It's it's 18 kilometers away from the San Francisco mine, which has been on and off production. Decades. There's three million ounces of gold contained in that mine. They've mined about a million ounces of it. It was discovered by Fresnio in the late '80s, and they basically sold it off because you know they had about 400,000 ounces of two grams per ton uh, gold oxide, uh, which wasn't big enough for, for Fresnio back then. So uh, they had sold it off, and then now it's been built out to you know an even bigger asset. Uh, so what's really interesting there is that Fresnio has you know a long history of working. In area in uh, the same trend this is part of the Caborca gold belt uh, they have la herera which is a huge massive uh, open pit gold mine uh, you know it's got 10 million ounces um, another five million ounces in satellite deposits around it. it it's it's huge so you know they've got that long history here they you know they've been on the ground at Piccacho uh, both in the past and, and recently and you know they still hold ground everything to the east of Picacho and, and a little inset uh, within the property. So, you know, it's got a good neighbor there. Um, you know, it's right off uh, a national rail line, uh, right off of a four-lane highway that connects Hermosillo, the capital of Sonora, with Tucson, Arizona. Um, so great access. Um, land ownership here is, is uh, a family of ranchers. Um, there's two brothers that, that own the land here. And uh, they actually own the mineral title as well. So we have uh, the agreement with them to develop this. And, you know, historically, I don't, I don't think Picacho really got a fair shake. It's, uh, you know, I had seen some kind of recon really wide space drilling by, uh, by Phelps Dodge um, you know, way back in the day. Um, you know, there was never any follow up on that. Uh, you know, one of the groups that had bought San Francisco mine, uh, you know, Timmins Gold, they, they did some work, uh, especially around the San Ramon prospect. And they were seeing really good indications that there was, something there but again this was around 2012 where you know, the price of gold then fell apart and you know they never really went back and so the, the project sat stagnant for you know over a decade and you know we came across it and saw the opportunity it's it's got you know six kilometers of prospective trend uh, defined by artisanal mine workings which are you know underground shafts underground lives. And obviously getting something to, to go down uh, in one case at San Ramon, you know, 90 meters underground. So, um, you know, quite significant there, but, you know, basically no drilling on it. And uh, that's where we really, really saw the opportunity. We drilled for the first time in, in late 2022 at San Ramon. We did 10 holes, 1,000 meters all targeting, you know, near surface gold, silver mineralization, and, you know, all 10 holes hit, uh, you know, something, uh, you know, probably three of them kind of saw the grade that we wanted. And, you know, that's really right in line with what you see at San Francisco. Um, there, it's, these are kind of organic type gold deposits, uh, where you need drill density or wide diameter drilling, because you get very coarse, nuggety gold. And uh, if, Anyone wants to look at our last news release, you'll see exactly what I mean. You know, there's you get those kind of BG specimen type gold samples, Uh, but you know we drilled a thousand meters, really a recon program. We hit, uh, had a you know nice discovery at San Ramon, and you know I think that's just one piece of many that we can start to build uh, together at Picacho, and you know again in our last news release, uh, we really went back to Picacho just to do assessment work. You know we need to do some work keep everything good standing. So we sent our team out to, you know, in areas that we don't understand as well. And, you know, right away they come back with you know exceptional results, you know, up to 15 grams per 10 gold. In chip samples, we always take chips, we don't take grabs. And, you know, defining a new 1.6 kilometer trend. So, um, you know, Picacho just seems to have a lot of upside to it, a lot of potential, you know, it's in the right jurisdiction, it's got great access. And it's just going to provide us and our shareholders a lot of upside uh, in the future for
0: yeah, no, and well said and like I say, this is one of those things where warrants a deeper conversation later and then you know as, as time goes by maybe we can get you back on when things start to pick up there but obviously uh, you know the star of the show here is pilar i mean this is a really interesting one for me and you know you and i had a good chat a couple weeks back right i mean uh, it's it's cheap it's cheap as borscht to, to gel, drill i mean the, the the concept of actually turning into a mine is cheap at surface it's oxides right so there's all these different reasons why there's all these kind of ad- advantages like i say the the hurdle to economic viability in my eyes is, is, is low, right? Um, so you have this original land package, Guadalupe and the Los Oryx Losor- concessions, which you can see is the inset there. You recently expanded that, which I think is big and we'll get to that, but do you just kind of, yeah, like I say, the same thing, just, you know, for people that aren't familiar to the story for my audience, that don't know you folks yet, just run us through the, the, a brief history of Pilar to kind of get us to today. And we can start talking about those other kind of details.
1: Yeah. You know, Pilar has got an amazing history behind it. It, was discovered by, you know, actually the, the Lundin family in, in the mid 90s. So uh, 96, 97, they had a, a Mexican subsidiary company exploring here and, you know, they hit, uh, it was, you know, 21 meters at 38 grams per tonne gold uh, and, you know, the same values for silver. So, you know, some amazing results really. And, you know, some other holes that hit, you know, 10 meters, 10 grams kind of thing. You know, mid 90s, so gold's $300 an ounce you need to hit all high grade for it to really work. And, you know, that's not really what Polar is. It's not all high grade, although you do get those fantastic high grade results. Uh, there's also this, you know, kind of broad low grade mineralization associated with that high grade. And so for Santa Cantalina, the Lundin family company there, they it wasn't enough of the high grade at the time, so they had walked away from it. Uh, and, you know, after that, it was kind of held by, you know, more... Prospectors that you know saw the potential were trying to advance it, um, but never really had you know like a big vision for what to do with Pilar. Just going back and drilling, uh, you know, trying to to understand what was going on there, and you know that's part of the opportunity that we saw is that you know we knew that there's some fantastic mineralization at Pilar. It's all right at surface. Uh, you know, it looked at that time to be oxide material, you know, amenable to heat leach. And you know, between twenty ten and twenty eighteen, it had saw you know several drill programs completed on it. Each program came back with with good results, Um, but each time, kind of during a a difficult time in the market where it was underappreciated, and again, you know, that was uh, something that we saw in terms of the opportunity. Um, You know, there's several areas where this all outcrops at surface; it's quite visible, um, where a lot of the past drilling had focused and. We knew that you know, there were several trends here, parallel trends to each other uh, that continued definitely to the southeast and, and also to the north. And, you know, so what we started to do was, um, you know, as we really evaluated Pilar, got dug into the structure there, dug into the mineralization and then said, right, how do we systematically start to define what's here and, and step out on that? What we discovered is that, you know, a lot of the past drilling was, you know, some holes were vertical um, and this is a vertical, you know, these high grade structures are, are vertical. So that's not the ideal orientation to drill it. It looks as, you know, the overall kind of plunge of this system is, is towards the Northeast. And, um, and some of holes were kind of drilled uh, parallel to that as well. So um, what we learned quickly is that if you're drilling drill to the Southwest and you seem to come across both those high grade structures, in the overall plunge of this thing, and you know, as we started to do that, um, you know, we hit some fantastic results, and we, we keep doing that, and and now it's about evaluating, okay, how you know how far do these um, these trends go? Uh, we know we've got parallel ones that have been very poorly defined in the past, and it's about you know now evaluating those, and and then the exciting thing is that you know we've acquired all the land around it, and uh, it seems to be extremely perspective we know that this extends immediately to the north and you know that's all playing into why we focused on that first before trying to jump into a resource straight away is that we knew there was big opportunity to be able to expand that uh, once we could consolidate the land here
0: yeah excellent no good intro and so i mean just for the sake of people that are viewing this I have up, this is from the 2016 uh, technical report, not written by by the predecessors here, a couple of things there. You can see North Hill main zone and then the 4T. This is from the original two concessions. And then uh, as as Brody referenced, they, they have significantly increased their land package. And I think this is something that, as I came across the story, right, I mean, the initial land package a little tight, a little cramped, right? And so being able to expand that for a lot of reasons, even as you say, expanding to production and, and having, you know, there's you need space for those sort of things, not to mention additional uh, uh, targets, right? Can you, so let's let's start talking about you know you have and we'll talk about you know potential resource size in a second here and, and but and all that other kind of stuff but let's just talk about expanding your you've got a geological model you got a working thesis in terms of how you've explored these first two concessions you have a good understanding historical understanding and now you're looking to expand that to the rest of this uh, updated and large land package what are what are the data points you know i'd ask you for geophys and you said that's you know yet to come or it's in the process of if i, if I read the news releases properly but uh what are you working on right now to develop your targets? What, what data sets do you have to that you're using to start to identify targets and prospects for the expanded land package?
1: Yeah. You know, it's um, you know, one, this, this image here kind of doesn't really put it all into light. Because of the angle we're looking at it, this is looking at in Google earth, but you know, really what we acquired is 20 times bigger than the original polar package Mm -hmm. that we had. So it's a significant add uh, for, you know, prospective land around, and, you know, the the one thing that we heard a lot over the last few years, because, I mean, this is something we've been looking to consolidate for a while, is that, you know, don't bother. There's 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 nothing north of Pilar. It's not perspective. You know, there's, there's nothing there. You're just going to waste your time. Um, yeah, I, we don't believe that at all. You know, we have a model in mind for Pilar that, again, we have these these high grade structures, very, very structurally controlled structures. Um, a lot of different uh, phases of brecciation, uh, which is fantastic. When you're looking at a mineralized system, you you want those kind of multi-phase systems, um, and we know that there's parallel trends to it. And as we step to the northeast, we're finding more and more of those trends and starting to define them. And when we looked at that as the overall geological model, we know that you know this package of rocks, this is all hosted within uh, volcanic andesites, and they continue you know all the way to the east, you know to the extent of the new boundary. And as those continue, wherever you get one of those fault structures, um, you potentially have you know, similar mineralization. And we could see in satellite imagery that you know, there was some kind of indications that those could exist. Uh, but what was the big tell for us, um, and it's very simple, is that uh, the placer mining activity uh, in the area has been quite extensive, especially the last two years. And that's coming off of, Drainages immediately north and east of Pilar, um, where in essence, like they're you know it's it's, hard, it's tough to call it alluvial placer mining anymore. But they're basically sitting you know very close to um, where you have rock exposure and old mine workings even, and what we can see there is telling us that yes, there are other structures uh, like we see at Pilar that are obviously mineralized, because obviously, uh, they wouldn't be there, um, you know, mining gold out of the the creek valleys if there wasn't. Um, so, I mean, that's the obvious indicator that we cannot deny. And, and so for us, you know, that's, that's the first strong indication that we have. What's great about, you know, the work that these placer miners have been doing over the last two years is that they've completely opened up areas uh, for us for exploration. And, you know, basically built in roads, you know, three kilometers up um, some of these areas that we previously didn't have any access to. And as they have built those roads, they've made new road cuts through outcrop, and you know that's given us excellent exposure to you know these other new potential systems associated with Pilar. And you know one example, I was there a few weeks ago. You know we've got 180 meters of um, of outcrop exposed in one one road cut, and you can see you know the alteration. Uh, zonation, like through that, you can see this really heavily oxidized with veining, going into more argillic alteration, going into propolytic which is your kind of further extent out. But you can see that whole uh, zonation through that road cut, and I mean, there's no cool. clear indicator that we're we're onto something there. So for us, it's about it's about mapping. It's just getting on the ground, looking at these new exposures, sampling and letting that lead us towards our next targets. And we've got a lot to go after there. Um, You know, you you mentioned the geophysics, you know, there's been basically no geophysics flown on the extension uh, in this expansion area. And that's something that we'll look at, but I think the the more obvious kind of, you know, uh, quicker path is going to be just getting our boots on the ground, uh, mapping this area systematically, sampling it and seeing what we can find. And, you know, the perfect example of that is Four and a half kilometers north of Pilar, where we have, you know, a big alteration zone. I'll uh, see if I can find that image that you're you're talking about. But, you know, the, the one bit of information that we had was some uh, satellite, uh, ASTER data that was interpreted. And, you know, so the image on the left here is showing the satellite imagery, and then, you know, those these colored polygons that are um, interpreted minerals um, that are often associated with uh, hydrothermal systems, like an epithermal or, or porphyry system. And you can see you know, where Polar is, it's actually down on the bottom left here.
0: Um,
1: you don't see a lot of response from, from that satellite imagery, which is kind of uh, interesting, um, but you do see some bigger responses as you move to the north. And the biggest one is, you know, again, four and a half kilometers north here. And you know, these alteration minerals are typically associated with the porphyry system. This is a big area, you know. It's over three kilometers long. It's a kilometer and a half wide. Uh, it has seen no sampling, and you know we sent our crew out, basically doing due diligence on when we we're looking to acquire this. And the first sample they took, um, which I still kind of shake my head and try to figure out how uh, that really happened, but the first sample they took was a two-meter chip that ran five point six grams per ton gold and one hundred six grams per ton silver. And it's not right off a of road. I mean, it's they parked the car, they, they walked up a, a dry creek bed for 10 minutes and then saw an outcrop and, and, and noticed the similarities between that and Pilar. And so, I mean, that, right away that tells me that there's way more to be discovered here. And the fact that we've got such a big area to go after that has seen no sampling uh, you know, leads me to believe that we're going to find more and more. And so... You know, there's there's a lot that we can do with this. Um, you know, obviously the mapping, the looking, getting into the geology is the, the first thing. Uh, focusing where the plaster miners are uh, is is quite obvious. And then, you know, beyond that, it's yeah, adding the other layers of geophysics, uh, the geochemistry, and and using that to vector in towards our next targets. But um, there's really no shortage to go.
0: And and you know to circle back to where I started, like I say, the the, the puzzle pieces are kind of coming together here, right? That you, you, it's not a wing and a prayer. I mean, it's early days and it's early exploration, but that's the name of the game, right? And this is not you know you're not picking up the scraps of fifty years of you know fifty thousand meters of drilling and pretending you can start to build a. a, a, You will be the first person to make this into an economic deposit after fifty years of attempts. This is this is fresh new land and fresh new ground and. Like I say, you have that working geological model. I mean, like I say, this this story resonates with me. You, you mentioned the plaster miners a couple of times, and I think this is worthy of a conversation. And uh, and I think you you were you had some cool photos there. If you if you want to try to cycle through and find them, there, Brody. I think I'm jumping around in my order a bit, but. Uh, uh, yeah, no, there, right? a so couple of there, but uh, do you want to just discuss, obviously it's potentially a double-edged sword in terms of relationships with them. I mean, these, you know, these guys, that will treat it like this their backyard potentially and, and then sort of you know, can be contentious. Right. Do you just want to discuss, I mean, what is your relationship with them? Is there a formal dialogue ongoing? Uh, I'll just start there. I got other questions there. I won't, I won't bombard you with five different questions. What What is your kind of current relationship with these guys?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fantastic really. And, you know, uh, you mentioned, they think it's their backyard. It is their backyard. I mean, the, the workers out <laughs> here that are operating the you know the excavators and the dump trucks and and, and washing the gold, they run it over a sluice box. You know, it's they they're all from the local community, uh, Swaki Grande, which is you know really you know ten miles away from the, our project, and you know so this is their backyard. And you know we're my mindset is is quite clear with them. It's you know they're doing something that. At times, is, is obviously it's economic for them. Uh, but anyone that's watched uh, you know, Discovery Channel Gold Rush knows um, knows the challenges those guys go through because it's so difficult to quantify placer uh, gold. It's just constantly changing. They need to do a lot of work to try to figure out what's there. Um, they're they're in it. They're making money. They're out of it. They're not making money. Um, but the key thing is having a dialogue with them to understand, you know, what are they looking at are they going after um, and, and being able to work with them on that and, and again you know they've basically opened up um, not only you know this area but but several others uh, through the work that they've done and you know it's about us having that strong relationship with them that dialogue so that we can then take it to the next step and, and start to drill evaluate these and build out resources from the sources of these plaster environments so You know, again, the the best example right now is just immediately north of Pilar, uh, where they've gone over three kilometers up this drainage. And I mean, this it's not coming from Pilar, all this stuff. It's coming from something else. And I think it's likely it's coming from multiple sources as you move along that drainage. And, you know, this is the clear indicator for us. And now they've gotten to a point, you know, that last photo where the excavator was sitting there. They've gotten to a point where they've gone fairly high up into the hills where, you know, again, that. Alluvial you know, material is, is getting thinner and thinner, uh, and they're actually right adjacent to old mine workings, you know, old underground mine workings um, that were chasing high grades. So we know they're they're right on top of stuff in certain instances. And and what's great for us is that they've as they're moving with that excavator, they screen everything because they're washing it over a sluice box. Uh, they can only really deal with the fine material uh, to be able to recover gold there, and so everything that's left behind are all the, you know, the bigger rock fragments. And we can basically go over that and start to map it. And, you know, the last time I was down there, hmm. you know, we'd walk along where they had, you know, basically screen material ready. And you can see, you know, coarse fragments of breccia, the same type of breccia we see at Pilar. You know, of course, you know, vein material, Stockworks, uh, you know, really oxidized material that's been altered. It's, you know, you can see all the indications that, yeah, they're on to something that looks very similar to Pilar. it's just never been evaluated and you know that's they've given us full access to the area now and uh, we can get in there so you know it's always a a balance you know we don't we're not there to ruffle the feathers with the locals we're but we're definitely there to work with them and you know i think it's this is really part of the significance of where we're at with pilar is that historically you know there was plaster development out here for decades Um, but only recently in the last you know two three years have they started to really advance up these valleys. And that's really opening our eyes to what that potential can be. And uh, yeah, it means we can move very quickly to start targeting these.
0: No, interesting. It's such a, yeah, it's a, it's a unique thing dealing with these guys that, that, yeah, it's, uh, they've been doing it for such a long time and that the relationship is so key because yeah, you can understand why they would be concerned maybe that you're going to, you know, eat their lunch, so to speak, right? Um, Let's just try, let's switch gears here though. Uh, I mean, part of, a big part of the story is just so how cheap it is, right? And so do you just want to give us your your headline number? I mean, your cost per meter to drill? This is something that is a huge advantage for you, right?
1: Yeah, we're looking at 130 uh, US dollars that's RC. If we want to drill core, you know, add another $40 to that. So it's sure. extremely cost effective to drill here. Um, again, you know, we're in Sonora. There's probably a dozen drill operators, you know, uh, companies, service companies in Hermosillo, two hour drive away from the project. Uh, so there's a lot to draw from, but, you know, we've been lucky to to work with some of the top groups there and, you know, they've got fantastic rates to, uh, be able to drill. And, you know, talking about that number, that's all in, that's, you know, that's fire assay, that's ICP, that's our geologist, that's, you know, all the time, the equipment it takes, uh, that's all in. So um, it's tough to be in a jurisdiction that you can get any cheaper than that to drill, hmm. and is, is a huge advantage for us. And, you know, it's not just that, it's, it's all the other components that are tied to that. And, uh, you know, I know you're talking to another company later this week that really touts low cost and quick turnaround. And, you know, this is, again, the advantage of being in Sonora is that uh, we have an ALS prep lab in Hermosillo, two-hour drive from the project, um, that has a fantastic turnaround. You know, often we see less than three-week turnaround for both fire assay and ICP. And, you know, that gives us a huge advantage. We get that data back quicker, we can make uh, better decisions and, and follow up on things faster. So, you know, again, it's just Sonora's got so many of these pieces, you um, that you look for in a key jurisdiction and uh, that's really why we want to focus there
0: yeah uh, so at this point i'm going to transition because you know so far we've kind of been discussing this as a as an exploration story and you know when you and i had our first phone conversation there a few weeks back. Uh, what grabbed my attention was and you kind of referenced it in your, your your elevator pitch is that it's more than that right this is not just a classic elevator exploration story where you're just fishing for a buyout but i mean you, your goal is to take this to to fast track this to production right and so i think this is kind of like i say we'll transition here and start talking about this vision you have to in a very short kind of telescope time frame uh, get 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 pouring, right? Get producing. Um, and so I guess, yeah, again, just to frame this conversation, you just want to take take a minute here and just explain the rationale, your vision behind it and what the rationale is for getting there so fast?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to, again, Sonora being a jurisdiction that that understands mining, has a long history of mining, you know, really all the small towns in Sonora are, are, are there because of a mine, really in, in, in most cases. Um, but you know the the key thing there is you know to permit to explore is uh, very quick, very streamlined. We can permit uh, a big drill program, you know, over two years in, in twenty one days. And there's not many jurisdictions that you can do that. Um, you know, we can pre COVID, you could permit a mine development uh, in six to nine months. Uh, I don't think there's another jurisdiction out there you can do that. Now, post-COVID, that slowed down. Uh, and you know it's uh, an election year in Mexico. There's an election coming up June 2nd. And the current government that's been in power for a while is, is kind of more playing to the southern states in Mexico, but um, has kind of uh, been quite vocal in terms of how they want to see uh, mining uh, be more focused on uh, community benefit, be more, more focused on environmental impact water usage, all things that obviously we're, we're very aligned with. Um, but that slowed down the permitting process. So now you're kind of looking at maybe 18 months, uh, a little bit longer to get your mine development permit back. Um, but that is still extremely fast. And, you know, I think there's probably a strong case that, um, that timeline speeds up after the election even, so we could see it return back to, you know, 12, 18 month kind of timeframe, but because of that timeline this is the key advantage for us is that on a short scale, we can move this from exploration to production. And the cost to do that is again, relatively low. If you look at other jurisdictions, the costs that need to go into permitting, uh, you know, again, over Canada, US, you're looking at, you know, probably eight to 15 years for your timeline for permitting. Uh, And you're looking at millions and millions of dollars to do it here know, a fraction of that. And, and that's, again, the advantage that we see is that we can move things quickly uh, for relatively low costs. And, and that's what we want to do. And we're not the first movers in that, you know, there's other companies that have come before us that have done just that, uh, that have built operating mines in Sonora for, you know, less than $15 million. And that's, you know, we're really where we want to be. We, you know, 18 months from now, we're going through Basically, all, all the steps for permitting uh, to submit our application this year, and then you know you're looking at 18 m- months out from that, uh, potentially having your permit back and being ready to build. And you know our kind of overarching concept and vision is that if we can be at pre-construction and still only have you know 60 to 70 million shares out, uh, uh, yeah, I mean really it's it's cool. going to be a huge win for our shareholders because a lot of companies that get to pre-construction they've already diluted themselves out to 300 million shares mm-hmm. or more. and um, You know, if that's the key advantage that we see here is that we can build this quickly, move it to production, and then use that production to fuel more exploration. You know, you know it could be at Pilar, it could be at Picacho, or it could be other assets that we acquire along the way. Uh, but this, you know, this permitting and regulation that exists in, in Sonora allows us to break free from just being an explorer and we can move to being a producer. And I think that's what the market needs right now. It needs more companies that are going, right, let's build something where we can actually create that value for our shareholders instead of, you know, really just just hoping that you build something big enough and, and attractive enough and shiny enough that someone else is going to take you out. And I don't think the majors are quite there yet in terms of having that appetite. So this, this is our, our kind of bigger vision and why we think it can happen.
0: Yeah. Again, you've touched on a couple of things that I I want to follow up on, but I think that, again, that you articulate well this this idea that you have. I mean, you're, you're in the right jurisdiction with the right project to be able to move aggressively. And this, you know, the market right now, it does reward success. It takes a, a remarkable degree of success. But, I mean, you know, you're trading at a $15 million market cap. And you know, I'm going to ask you in a second here, not quite yet, but you know, the, the, the numbers can get kind of silly here in terms of your valuation. If you can achieve that and you talk about you know, good projects, you, know, you, you can pick the right project and it becomes a mine and you think it should be a success. But if, if, the, if the value has just been blown out the back door from you know, a tripling or quadrupling to, of, 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 the, of, the, uh, of the float, there's no value left for the retail investor, right? So uh, your vision, like I say, it resonates with me. But I I wanted to discuss, because there are permitting concerns, and you touched on this, right? I mean, Oberdor and AMLO, a couple of years back there, they kind of said, you know, unofficial pause and open pit mining permits. Uh, my understanding is that there have been some since then, but, you know, a little bit of a tightening of the taps or whatever. I mean, do you want to discuss, I mean, is that a concern to you? Should that be a concern? Can you point to success stories in the meantime and, and you know, what, what to you, why is that something that can be overcome, I guess?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, the the main thing you need to recognize is that there's a lot of rhetoric especially revolving around mining in Mexico, uh, because it can be a sensitive topic, especially uh, in states that may not have that that long history of mining. Uh, there may be other complications with community dynamics where you have, you know, whether it's, it's First Nation groups kind of tied in with the local communities, uh, stuff like that. So I think, you know, the, the current administration of Mexico has been quite vocal that they they think there should be changes in mining in Mexico uh, they've made certain moves but the clear indication to us is that uh, that's more focused on certain jurisdictions that, that exclude Sonora for the most part and and the other thing is that it's a lot of it is that kind of rhetoric that's built around you know a narrative where they're trying to get to their voter base and you know I, I look at you know, in some of the more southern states, like Torax Gold is, is a fantastic story. I think they've done extremely well with their ESG and, and working with all the stakeholders there. And I think that shows you what the potential can be uh, in Mexico. But, you know, getting closer to, to home for us in Sonora, you know, Minera Alamos and their Santana mine, uh, they put into production over the last year and a half. And uh, that's an open pit that's 50 kilometers away from us. That's a very i think very similar size and scale and upward potential uh, that we see at Pilar. and you know for us that's that's the clear indicator that um, look this thing just got permitted um, we see a lot of similarities i think also a lot of advantages with with where we're at and the location of our project and you know that gives us you know peace of mind that you know we can get there uh, with with these assets in Sonora you know, I do expect um, there to be continued uh, rhetoric leading up to the election, uh, and you know we'll see what the outcomes are from that. But you know, the the clear indicators to us from the government has been they want to see the community's benefit. They want to see you know mindful use of water. We are in a, a semi-arid desert here, so of course we need to be um, extremely mindful of that, and. They want to make sure that you know it's groups that have the right mindset in terms of development, and you know this goes back to really our core belief in that you know we're here to develop these projects, but to build them locally with locals, and you know we've got an excellent relationship with the local community. Uh, a lot of our workers have lived there um, in Suárez Grande. We've been very fortunate to hire, you know, I think the first geologist to come out of that that small village. One of our workers is actually uh, now going to university to become a geologist. So, you know, we've, we sucked another one into uh, the industry and, you know, (laughs) but it's, you know, that it's because we're there to to work with them and build with them. And, and, you know, again, Sonora, it's, it's built for mining. It's got like 70 operating mines uh, currently there, you know, small scale, big scale, but, you know, I don't think there's 70 operating mines in Canada. Like there's, this is a place that understands mining. It's got a long history of it. I think if you're doing the right things and have the right approach there, that there there should be really nothing that holds you back. And you know, I think environmentally, Pilar is in a great spot. It's it's close to a local community, but far enough away that any water you know draw isn't going to impact them. Um, you know, we're talking semi-arid desert, uh, very low environmental impact lot of things that we can do to secure that and, and maintain it and you know we feel that it's kind of in that sweet spot of of location uh but also having great access to infrastructure so you know we're very very mindful of all that uh but again if i were to pick a jurisdiction i'd you know i'd i'd pick sonora any day over pretty much anything so hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and like you said, that was part of your due diligence process when you selected these projects. So uh, we're going to bounce off mineral animals here a couple times in the next few questions here, because I think it, it's an important analog, right? And I guess I'm kind of kind of answering the question I'm going to ask you right now. But uh, you know, people that dig into this, right? They listen to this, or they know the story, and, and they start doing their research, and, and they say, well, you know, faster to production, reasonable expectations to get there. Uh, but you know, you're not even, not even a PA though, right? So that that, that 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 eyebrow that might get raised at that, right? Because I mean, you know, you talk about your confidence intervals and percent variability and, and and the ability to sort of narrow those those intervals down to something that can be a reasonable you know bankable feasibility and, and you're kind of you know you're 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 kind of dodging that or, or turning it on its head and and you're moving forward without that arduous sometimes arduous process of, of, of these economic and feasibility studies and, and so i mean what are your rebuttals and like i say i kind of i kind of called my shot here a little bit in terms of that but I mean, you have analogs to help but what is your rebuttal to concerns when it comes to that kind of conversation
1: yeah. You know, I think the first thing is companies often, they, they jump down that track because they feel they need to, uh, to attract investments or, or what have you. And I, I think often that that can happen prematurely and, you know, it's something that we've been mindful from from the start because, you know, we, we talked about this early on in this conversation is that, you know, Pilar wasn't a huge area to start with and we wanted to be able to the area around it to, expand on that potential and we didn't want to jump into a resource there until we had you know that available to us so that that's part of you know really what we're trying to build is being mindful of of the back end size potential that we we want to align with and and so that's the first thing the the second is that you know to go down this path of permitting for a mine development you don't need a resource and yeah look at mineral alamos Um, they just put out a resource on santana Basically, like two and a half, three years after they, they submitted that application for mining. So, um, you know, I think that's that's key as well. Is that we know the permit's going to take time. So let's get it going so that we can move down that path. But in the meantime, build out what we have. And so our mindset has been, let's make sure we've got something significant at Pilar. We've done that with the drilling we've done. You know, on the property we've drilled eight thousand meters on Pilar. So far, historically, there was around fifteen thousand meters. So you know we've got twenty-three thousand meters of drilling there uh, to draw from and and start building towards a resource. Um, And I think what we've been able to do has added to that significantly. And so internally, you know, we know what we have. We're obviously we're confident in that. Otherwise, we wouldn't be starting to pursue this permitting aspect. Um, But again, then it's about now we've got the expansion area. uh, Let's build that out bigger and bigger. And the best time to do it is while we're waiting for the permit. And, you know, we want to be mindful of how we do that. We don't want to just go out and drill as many meters as possible because, um, you know, we can or we have time. It's it's about trying to identify what else is out there, get a good foothold on on that, and then, you know, kind of leave it until we're producing and then we can allocate that capital again without diluting our shareholders to develop and, and build those out and you know that's really what uh, we want to focus on uh, coming up here. So I understand it's you know it's a bit of a different approach but you know I feel that it's the right one for us and you know we do want to build towards a maiden resource by the end of this year. Uh, and you know after that we will look at whether we need to go down a PA route uh, to get the financing we need for a mine build but those are all things we'll evaluate as we need to uh, instead of you know just getting caught into that same trap of trying to get out a resource as quick as possible um, hmm. and setting, I think, of the bar too low for what our upside potential is.
0: Mm-hmm. And that happens, right? The- too early and people don't understand the potential if you come out too early. Uh, I, I, this is an interesting comment that I, as you were just discussing this, I almost feel like you're the, you're the flip side of the coin to say like Tombstone in the Yukon, right? Where you've got fireweed and you've got snowline gold and these absolute world-class deposits, but they're in the middle of nowhere. And, and so you know, how much is it going to cost to get them to production? We have no idea. There's so much infrastructure that has to get built and, and all, you know roads and power lines and all the rest, right? That, that That there has to be a very exacting sort of approach to the economics of that. Where for me, when I see Talk Van, I, I see it's in a neighborhood like you say. I mean, it's a well-established jurisdiction. There are well-established kind of costs and pricings, and, and the, the, the mineralogy and the geology of it are, are well understood, right? So that you can, and I mean, I'm kind of you know not to carry water for Talk Van here, but I'm just saying why it excites me is that you can pick data points from from your surrounding neighbors where it's not theoretical but actual in production kind of content that you can of build your your own confidence from right and so i mean for me i'm going to this I'll transition to discussing i mean Couple of topics I want to talk about, you know, kind of potential ASIC and then cost to get produ- to production. Pardon me, but uh, I mean bulk sample. I mean, I've got a I've got a slide up there of the bulk sample somewhere. I mean, you, you've done this work, you, or you're doing some heap leaching, right? Do you want to discuss? Uh, yeah, just kind of introduce us to that and why that's so important, and and uh, and kind of discuss what the outcomes from that were.
1: Yeah, you know the the bulk sample was. Uh, I mean, it was an awesome process for us to go through as a team and
0: and really to sh- try to showcase
1: what the potential is at Pilar. And, and also, again, take advantage of the fact that we're in this jurisdiction that has facilities around us that we can process this material. And so, you know, our, our concept there was we, we had done some early metallurgical work, you know, the typical column leach studies, uh, agitated bottle roll studies, all showing very encouraging recovery of, of gold and silver at Pilar and, and showing that, you know, it's oxide material processing. and that is the lowest cost. Uh, if you're looking at all-in sustaining costs, like your lowest is going to be a heat leach setup. And if you look at groups like Mineralamos, Alamos, you know, they kind of tout that they can keep that in like the 800-900 all-in sustaining cost range, which is fantastic, you know. They're you know they're making a lot of money at $2,000 gold. So that's something that we wanted to showcase and the fact that the mineralization at Polar is right at surface uh, something that we were able to do quite easily. You know, we've already had trenches cut through it, um, you know, full road access through, you know, the, the entire deposit where it's exposed. And so, you know, we were very quickly able to permit just a, a trench program to extract that material. And there was a local facility 20 kilometers away that had everything we needed in terms of space for a heap leach pad, a crusher to crush all that material, to screen it. Uh, and then to collect you know the solution off that heat bleach pad and put it through columns um, using uh, carbon absorption um, and test that full cycle like exactly what that would look like using the material from Polar. And you know we were very successful in showing that and I think you there's there's critics always out there they saying like you know it's, it's not a necessary step, but I, I completely disagree. I think it, it is because, there are so many things that you learn about your material when you run through that process, and you know, for us, it it was, you know, learning that yes, you can use heap leach to recover the metals, uh, but you can also use other methods and uh, like gravity, uh, like agitated leach, and so it allowed us to start to evaluate. Okay, what are what would those type of uh, you know flowworks look like and how would it compare to a heap leach uh, setup and you know we're very lucky at Pilar the gold and silver is very fairly liberated it's not tied to a mineral that kind of makes it difficult to get out and you know through that we ran gravity studies that are showing between you know the gravity and agitated leach we can get uh, over 95 percent recovery of the gold and it's you know, so our next steps are then to start to fully evaluate that so that we can run a comparison with the heap leach and go, right, you know, the economics are showing that this is the methodology that we need to use to extract mm-hmm. these metals. Um, and, you know, this is this is going to be the most cost effective or more, most profitable for us. And, you know, it's really all about just getting that metal out of the ground. And the fact that we were able to pour that dore bar, which you my address, you but you know, like, the, like <laughs> to be able to do that as a yeah. you know a junior explorer. Uh, I think is a, a significant step, and it's it's showing where our mindset's at. It's showing proof of concept. You know, the bulk sample it, it is about collecting the that data. Uh, the bulk sample isn't about making money for the company; it's about collecting that data, so that in the future when we do become a producer we're not stumbling out of the gate, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with the metallurgy. Why is it behaving like this? You know, we've already gone through those steps and learned those things. And now we can apply them as we look to to move towards uh, development.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that you're, you're demonstrating well, that despite, you know, the early days in terms of potentially what maybe people might consider early days for economic studies, that there is a lot of deliberate and very intentional sort of uh, that that approach that has to happen to have a high confidence chance that you know at, at, at a profitable uh, mining business or produ- profitable production. It's it's on- it's ongoing, right? So this work is happening. Having the bulk sample done, I mean, sixty to ninety percent is your variation recovery rates, more than ninety percent in some rates. And so you know you're doing the work and, and understanding what you've got and what you have to have happen. And so maybe this is a transition. This is one that uh, one of the users on CEO.ca asked me to ask you, and it's a it's a classic one and it's critical. I mean, what is the size of the prize here, right? I mean, I I uh, you know like I said, it does it's not a, it doesn't have to be world class deposit like Snowline gold to, to, to make a go of it you know but so based on those original two concessions so we'll, we'll sidestep the expansion of pilar i mean what is the size of the prize here what, it, what you know the total ounces you think you're going to get total and then you know annual tonnage if we're going to start talking about this being a mine within two or three years as well sure and again yeah. sorry to interrupt you Brody, but just you know of course this is again classic forward-looking statement here right this is all very speculative yeah. in nature and so let's not let's not uh, hang him by his ankles here for if, if we're off of it here
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the thing, right, is that, you know, we're we're looking at the blue sky potential at Pilar and, and you know, obviously we have a lot of confidence with what we've drilled so far. And we've got a lot of confidence in the future targets that we'll go after, you know, within those original two concessions. Uh, but we feel that, you know, the upward potential of original Pilar, the small one, was you know, around 700,000 ounces of gold. And... Know, we think that we can build towards that, but that's not actually what our original goal is going to be. It's going to be if we can show you know four hundred thousand ounces uh, or closer to half a million ounces potentially of recoverable metal there. Um, that's going to be a perfect sweet spot for us because our our vision initially is to build it out, you know, be able to produce fifty thousand ounces of recovered uh, metal annually, and if we can do that as a start. That's, I mean, we can build it from there and, and, and comfortably then have, you know, eight to 10 years of mine life um, early on and then look to expand on all of that uh, with the expansion property at Pilar, um, with other acquisitions, with Picacho um, and just keep building from there. But, you know, I think that's a nice sweet spot in terms of trying to, um, trying to be somewhat aggressive, but also, you know, not trying to go, yeah, we're going for 200,000 ounces a year kind of thing. It's, we don't need that. We just need to slowly build it from here and and look to grow. And that's what we want to focus on. Uh, I think with the expansion, you know, our, the upside potential is we are looking at multi-million ounces there. Same with Picacho. Um, But again, let's just build out what we need as the starting point and then grow naturally from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, starting to get into the, the dollars and cents that all this leads to that, and that's what ultimately matters. But you know, you've got the analog of mineral Alamos. He said eight nine hundred bucks for their ASIC. Let's round up to a thousand. And people, you know, it's this this is pretty simple simple math. You're just going to be adding some zeros, right? Thousand dollars ASIC, two thousand dollars gold, fifty thousand ounces a year, eight to ten year mine life. I mean, you know, this is why I mean this catches my eye, right? And it's, this is a story of will you execute? Can you execute? But I mean, the 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 prize here. Is significant for like I say, you guys are trading. I didn't, I haven't checked yet today, but I mean, yeah, give or take a couple million bucks of fifteen million dollar market cap, if I'm not mistaken. And you can see why, you know, in terms of selecting companies that provide you that risk to reward kind of uh, the, the, the asymmetrical opportunities, this one stands out to me, right? And so maybe having said all that, right? I mean, cost to get to production then, right? So I mean, you've got uh, what looks to be a pro- very profitable, you know, decently high degree confidence plan and a vision to get there. How much is it going to cost to get you there? What's the, what's the cost to get your production initial CapEx?
1: Yeah. I mean, there, that's where it gets really interesting is um, you're exactly right. Like we're, we kind of coming at it from a, the opposite end of the spectrum of a snow gold or something where they're just looking to build out as many millions of ounces as they can, because they need it. Uh, they need to show that to prove that, you know, you can produce off this thing. So, you know, for us, um, you know, again, we've got Minera Alamos there. Uh, they've probably done it the cheapest that any group has ever done it, I, I think. And, you know, they, they tout that it costs them 10 million uh, Canadian to build their mine at Santana, which, I mean, is incredibly low. Uh, if you look at other PAs in our jurisdiction, you know, you're looking at somewhere between 15 to 20 million to build out a mine, uh, that's still like, incredibly low. I mean, look at other jurisdictions, Idaho, you know, Ontario, you're, you're always looking at probably, you know, 200, 300 million for your initial uh, capex to get going. And uh, I think, again, that's the advantage that we have here is that uh, for such a low initial spend, you can get producing, uh, start making money and, and grow it from there. So that's kind of our advantage that we're looking at. It's also like from here to get to that pre-construction isn't going to take a lot of capital either in a relative sense uh, to be able to build that out.
0: Yeah. And, and so there you go again, right? That another puzzle piece sort of clicks into place here that it's not hundreds of millions of dollars, which I mean, it doesn't matter how good of a project you have or how compelling it is if you it, it for, you know, for a $15 million market cap company, You just can't find 200 million dollars without absolutely just blowing out and and reducing any chance at at a meaningful return for people right and so yeah you know you you discuss these things that again that i find why talk van catches my eye i guess maybe the the natural question i have for you though is i mean what is your i mean what are your plans and this is going to be very theoretical and hypothetical and there's going to be conversations and and things that you know you can't tell us because they're material but Nevertheless, it's still, you know, you're, it's still the, the value of your company, you know, the entire market cap of your company currently is what you need to, to raise to get there. Is this, a, you know, are you looking at a JV? Are you looking at potentially, I mean, how, is, do you think you're going to be able to convince a bank to to loan you the money without the bankable feasibility? I mean, wh- what are your options there, do you think, step moving forward?
1: Yeah, you know, I think um, we want to be, again, mindful of, of dilution to the shareholders. Um, really, you know, there's been recent examples that show a PA is plenty to get the financing you need to build. Uh, you know, again, Mineralamos did it without one. On their initial build, uh, on their their second one they're looking to do, Cerro de Oro, they're, you know, they basically did a mix of a royalty and, and debt uh, to get the financing they need secured. And you know, I, I can kind of foresee something similar to that, uh, doing a, a debt deal where we can pay that back quickly uh, to get online and moving, uh, that would not dilute our shareholders. I think that's probably something we can take advantage of. Yeah, you know, obviously that's it's an important question for us and you know, we're, we're fortunate in that there's been some great examples of what you can do. And you know, again, looking at Mineralamos, they were able to finance Santana With the equity and royalty deal uh, that they did with Cisco, so you know that's something that you know we can always entertain. Uh, Their next mine that they're looking to bring online, uh, they're doing a a royalty and and debt financing to build it. Uh, They do have a PA on that project, uh, giving you know the financier some confidence there. Um, So you know there's a lot of things that we can look to entertain, but we, as as always, you know we want to be mindful of dilution to our shareholders. We you know, it needs to be the right group if we look to do a JV. Uh, again, we don't want our shareholders to miss out on the upside potential that we see at Pilar in doing that. Um, and it, it's not a huge amount of capital that we'd be looking for. So, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, different ways we can go about it to finance it. But uh, we're, we're confident we can get there uh, quite successfully with, with what we have at Pilar and build out from there. So. You know, and it's not going to take a lot of capital to get to that pre-construction phase as well. And um, so I think you know, from here on out, our, our vision is to you know keep that share structure intact, uh, so that when we do get to production, you know, our shareholders see immense upside because you know, fifteen million market cap today. Uh, if you look like a, at a group like Mineralamos, you know they're you know, one hundred fifty million plus, and you know they've got some management that I'm sure they get a bit of a premium from that, but. Ultimately, the difference is that they made that step towards production. And so if our shareholders can see a significant upside uh, just by doing that, you know, that's that's a key thing
0: that we want to. But uh, just option agreements, right? So you're kind of in the process of securing 100% ownership, and like I say, I've, I've got the numbers. But can you just run through? I mean, how much is left outstanding? And maybe this is going to be a challenging for your mental math. But you know, you're, you're in the process of, but not yet there. What's uh, what's left on the bone for you know 2024 and beyond to get to 100% ownership of all these of these of these three separate, if we include Pilar twice, their projects or properties.
1: Yeah, you know, um, so we own 51% of Pilar today we can buy the remaining 49% for 2 million Canadian. Uh, and we intend to do that, you know, relatively quickly here. Uh, you know, it makes all the sense in the world. It's you know 2 million Canadian for half of an asset that we feel is going to provide tremendous growth for us. Uh, it's a very simple uh, decision to make. Uh, on the expansion area that we've just secured, uh, you know, we've got some heavier cash payments on that. It's all in. We're looking at 4 million the purchase on that. Um, you know, we've really just started that. So I think we're kind of looking at you know, like 3.75 million left, but we do get a bit of a breather here over the next uh, two years where there's going to be no payment. So uh, that allows us to get Pilar up and running and then we can use yeah. cash from that to, to pay out the remainder of that option agreement. Uh, Picacho is in a similar boat in that uh, we've been making... Fairly small cash payments uh, to the property owner there for the last two years. Those are slowly going to start to go up, um, and are all in uh, cost payments. there is about two million, and uh, you know we've done about a quarter of, of that so far. So, um, you know what we've built is again being mindful of uh, where we want to head in, in the direction that we want to go with you know getting this into a being a producing asset, so we can then deploy that capital without having to dilute our shareholders out fully there. So, um, you know, that's the mindset, uh, in all scenarios, we can own hundred percent of the properties that's been key to us. Uh, in most scenarios we can buy out uh, a significant portion of the NSR off them and uh, just trying to keep to that mindset of, yeah, there's going to be some heavier payments down the road, but if we're executing on our overall vision here, then uh, we'll be able to make those payments, uh,
0: And you can see how, you know, you've kind of aligned things in a way that if, you know, it's every story is always about execution, right? But if you can actually execute on a timeline that approximates what you think you can accomplish, that things come together very neatly for you in a a very kind of effective way. And I think finally, this draws us to an end here, Brody. And I mean, after a 70-minute conversation, it seems kind of strange to ask if there's anything that I've missed or any, but I'll leave you final thoughts. Anything you want to mention that, yeah, like I say, that somehow we didn't talk about
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know it's been a long one. So anyone that's stuck it all the way through, you know, congrats to you. Um, <laughs> definitely uh, owe you a beer or a coffee. Uh, you know, we can meet in person. But, you know, I think we've, you know, we've hit all the key points. You know, really for us, it's all about we're, we're very much aligned with our shareholders. We're, we're in this for the win. We're in it for, you know, the growth of the company. So we can all benefit from that. And, you know, I think if there's any really big takeaway, it's just that we're always available. If you want to chat with us, questions, you know, pick up the phone, give me a call, send us an email, you know, we can set up a call that way as well. Um, we just want to be there for our shareholders and be able to communicate. And um, yeah, especially the ones that listen to this entire video. I definitely want to talk to
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a little hidden Easter egg at the end here. Eh? Yeah. Well, no, good. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Brody. Appreciate your time. It was a great conversation. Yeah. Very informative. And it's a heck of a story and I'm looking forward to watching it play out. So yeah, uh, Talkman Ventures. Brody land, yeah check them out it's well worth your time and thank you for your time Brody
1: Thank you Matthew